What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of It's Your World. I'm your host, Jordan Brown, Uptown Jordan Brown, Dane Allen, Big Buckets Brown. And like I start off every episode, how are you? I wanted to hurry up with the intro for this one, mainly because I know it's been like a week or two without a new episode, and I want you guys to get this one right away. Um, so I'm going to get right into it. This is with uh, my sit down with Macassa Johnson, the CEO and founder of State of Emergent City, a nonprofit organization that works with kids all over the city of Chicago. They expose them to things going on within the city and they also take them out of the city, you know, to get an idea of what it's like to leave the city of Chicago and go experience some new things. Um, it's a great, great episode. So I'm not going to take up too much of your time. The social media tags are in the uh, show description and are also at the end of this episode. Uh, make sure you guys check it out. Follow the podcast, subscribe and review, and just let me know what you think about it. And I really appreciate the support and everything, guys. Thank you. Enjoy the episode. All right, guys. State of Emergent City um, is a spinoff of the term State of Emergency. And at the time, in 2016, the nation was deeming Chicago as being in a state of emergency. So um, just because I was so bothered by the gun violence epidemic, I was researching and just really immersing myself into what was going on. So I was watching YouTube videos, I was reading articles, um, reading different books, just really trying to, you know, I just was gravitated towards it to try to figure out why this was happening in 2016 and no one seems to be able to, you know, figure out how to move forward to, reduce and or eradicate gun violence so most of what i was watching was like different uh policy makers activists jesse jackson and so forth like we need the national guard state of emergency state of emergency we need to do something and so forth and so that was kind of like ringing in my mind i guess Mm. all day and so when i went to sleep and also I was at this point being deliberate about um, finding a solution to the gun violence in Chicago. So I was fasting Mm -hmm. and I was researching, trying to see how I could be a part of the solution. So I think that I was definitely a lot more sensitive towards direction, like God-given direction and vision. So when I fell asleep, I was waking at about two in the morning out of my sleep. And what was going through my head, actually what woke me up was, do you remember um, Periscope? Okay, the app. The app, Periscope. So I used to get alerts on my phone from like Pastor John Hanna, uh, Travis Green, Tasha Cobbs, all of them are like gospel artists preachers and stuff and so my periscope notifications is just ringing like at like one in the morning Mm -hmm. and this is eastern time because at the time i was living in atlanta my phone is going off 
And so I wake up, and the only people who I get notification from are the people who I really like, like at the time, my pastor um, and some of my favorite gospel artists. So it turns out Tosh Cobb was having this weekend convention and all of the people I follow on Periscope were there. And she was having an end of the weekend fashion show. So they were all going live with their fashion show. And I used to model. And at the time, I was coordinating special events and fashion shows okay. down in Atlanta. That's what had took me from Chicago to Atlanta, my event planning company. Okay. So I was down doing that. And so um, as I'm watching this, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's it. I'm going to do a annual fashion show fundraiser mm-hmm. and partner with a local organization in Chicago who are doing something to combat the gun violence. And I'm going to donate the proceeds from the fashion show. And that was kind of like the direction I began to head in. But then like, it was this snowball effect where I went from just wanting to put on an annual event to working directly with the youth affected by the gun violence. So then it turned into um, creating an organization. So the fashion show was going to be called State of Emergent City Annual fashion show. Okay, okay. And so I took that name and decided to make it the name of the organization State of Emergent City. Um, and then I was also um, believing that Chicago was past a state of emergency because the mindset and mentality of the individuals most affected by the gun violence needed to be emerged. Mm-hmm. It needed to be elevated. It needs to be changed. Um, so if you just bring in the National Guard and extra policing and these things like that. Yeah, I mean, you may get a little act right for a little while, but as soon as you remove those factors, those elements, if the mindset hasn't shifted, it will revert back to where it was. And we saw that in New Orleans post-Katrina. They deemed it state of emergency, and they sent out a lot of different resources to help rebuild the town, new investors, and so forth. But then the ghettos of New Orleans, after everything was removed, were worse off than what they were before the um, hurricane came. And it was no more assistance. And those mindsets hadn't changed, you know. I in mean, a way, they, I feel like when you think about Katrina, and it took me almost to look at things from a decade later to say, that's how drastic this was for us. Absolutely. And, and to notice people did get assistance for a certain amount of time. And if you say they were so like you're talking about the mindset, they probably think now people don't give a damn about us now because they, they came in, they helped us out for a little bit, and then they pulled out. So it's like, what was the whole point of that if, if, if it yeah. wasn't going to be for a long-term situation? Yeah. And then you had a lot of different organizations and celebrities and goodwill people who were taking toiletries, water, mm-hmm. donations, and things like that, but not enough energy or focus was placed on the mental. Mm-hmm. I mean, can you imagine, like, swimming with alligators and dead bodies and being on your roof for 10 days right. or in the the, um, the dome. No, I cannot imagine. You know, imagine it's like, and, and then you go to two uh, counseling sessions or something like I'm that, and it's like, okay, you out. feel better now, right? Like, time has gone. Okay, back to business as usual. Like, it doesn't work like that. And, and I'm sure that there are still some people to this day who are waking up 
in cold sweats and nightmares as a result of what they lived through in Katrina. So quite often, especially in minority communities, the mental health piece is so overlooked. Mm. And then if it is mentioned, it's on a very surface level. Like, hey, we have these social workers available for you if you choose to seek it. And a lot of people who are dealing with um, stress and PTSD. PTSD, especially minorities, aren't going to just go seek the help. You know, it should be something where you're funneled into it, just like how they figure out ways to control those who are receiving government assistance, like whether it's food stamps, Section 8, Whatever you're receiving, they have um, markers in place that you have to hit and, and abide by in order to continue to get this. And mental health redemption should have been one of the requirements. But because it's minorities in America, sometimes it just don't. You know, we're tough. You're about you bounce back, keep it moving, like, you know, and no one's going to really advocate for your mental health. So. Um, just watching all those things, and again, my background is in sociology, right. social services, social work. Um, all those things were just really affecting me. And then prior to me getting back into event planning, my last job was a social worker. And I used to go to my clients' homes to do my assessments. And the area that I was zoned to was on the west side, like all through K-Town, up in Madison Pulaski, Gladys, Cicero, like the worst parts of the west side was my caseload. And so I also feel like that that was God because this was even long before I was even thinking about a nonprofit or shortly before the nonprofit came to idea. But this was putting me in the trenches on a daily basis. So you've actually been out there and seen the things that you're attempting to change, the things, you know... Absolutely. ...been there with the people. And Even everything. being a Chicago native, I didn't realize that there are parts of the West Side that is identical to New Jack City. Like, I would be going to some of my clients' house and in the abandoned lots that are, you know, half-torn-down buildings full of glass, you would see syringes on the ground. And I also didn't realize how big of an epidemic heroin was in the black communities. And I would be driving through the communities, these predominantly black communities, and see somebody sitting on a bus stop shooting up broad daylight with the heroin syringe sitting inside the CTA bus stop. And um, so it was just very eye-opening to me to see like the state of our people. Mm -hmm. You know, <clears throat> I grew up on the outskirts of Chicago in the west suburbs. So I've always been connected to the city, but um, I was born in Chicago. I lived my first seven years in Chicago. And then I relocated to the suburbs. Mm -hmm. When I was attending college, I went to Chicago State University for my yeah, undergrad. I was, I was gonna say, let's get the intro in. But yeah, I, I went there, but that brought me back to Chicago. Right. So while I was at school, I had a condo on 62nd in Dorchester. So again, I'm kind of like getting back into it. And then every job I've ever had has been yeah, downtown or on the south side. So I've always been aware, connected on a daily basis. Like on a daily basis, although I lived in the West Suburbs, I was coming to Chicago. Mm -hmm. So 
Um, but then when my job brought me to the West Side, again, being exposed to like, this is absurd. And so when you are seeing from a front seat view, the have and the have not, like the disrespect is even greater because some people in these South and West Side communities haven't experienced the resources in the surrounding suburbs. I mean, within 10 miles from their home, you know, the difference that and in some cases is. maybe 600 feet we're talking about a block oh absolutely I mean, yeah yeah where, right like you have the, the gentrified communities of chicago you cross the street and you're into like yuppieville i mean high park is a prime example like you go on one side of cottage grove or the other all around university of chicago it's totally affluent mm-hmm. but you go five minutes south and you back into the hood. So, yeah, it's the, the disrespect is crazy. So, just seeing it firsthand, I knew that I had to be a part of the solution because no one will take interest into um, your people or your endeavors like you would. So, um, that's how State of Emergency came about. So, after watching all the video clips talking about State of Emergency, Emergency City came because I wanted to begin to emerge the mindset of the city and use exposure as a means of mentoring Mm. the young folks who are great, great, most impacted by the gun violence. One thing that I really want to know is... Even before we even get into the depth of what the foundation is, mm-hmm. how does it feel for you to get that perspective, that, like you said, that front seat view of everything, and to actually be doing something about it? How, how does it feel for you to do What, what is that feeling like to go inside these neighborhoods and have the response? What's the reception been from people in the neighborhoods? It's an honor because it is definitely God-led. I feel so honored that he chose me to be a vessel because... Um, this is so opposite of who Macasa is. Why is that? What is that? You know, I've kind of always been like just kind of self-consumed. I like to just stay in my own line, own lane, mind my own business. Um, I used to do runway modeling, just all into the fashion side of things. Um, and now I've always had a good heart. I'm born and raised in the church, so I always wanted to give back. That's how I kind of fell into the lane of social work, but not to the extent of a nonprofit organization because that becomes an extension of your identity. Um, there's no days off. You eat, sleep, live, breathe. Your nonprofit when you're the founder and the director. Um, so those, it was nowhere in my intentions. Like when I was mapping out life, I, I didn't have anything remotely close to. I want to just really dive into social services and nonprofit sector. None of that. It was more like about um, occupationally. It was all about like you know elevating up the ladder financially and things of that sort. So, um, when I see what I'm doing, I know that it's totally God. And I was in a state of my life where I was willing to just surrender mm-hmm. and be still. Cause I felt like I was always so busy doing some of everything. And it was a lot of just Macassa leading Macassa. So when I started to be still and surrender and just say, yes, uh, God was like, okay, well, I need you to go to Inglewood. And I'm like, what? 
money to you, but what you want me to go? And so those were all the uh, reminders and confirmations that I knew that this was not of me because these were things that I would not have chosen to do. Um, and the way that they just organically came about was also confirmation that I was being led by God. So it was just such an honor. And everyone who I began to tell about state of emergency city just brought right into it um, from wanting to be on the board of directors. I tapped into every resource that That's I had um, from people in broadcasting, journalism. Within our first year, we had a community partnership with iHeartMedia, which is unheard of. Um, then I tapped into the FAA, the Federal Aviation Association, because my brother is an air traffic controller. Okay. So just beginning to tap into all the different resources and connections that I had and pulled it for the organization. Within that first year, what we were able to accomplish was nothing but God showing out. And it was, it's just such an honor. I mean, we took our kids camping in Michigan oh, four hours bags. away, right away. Um, we started our summer program within the same window mm -hmm. where we would actually meet at the Harold Washington Cultures. And we started off actually at um, Coffee Matters, Coffee House. That would be where we would meet because my office space is just very corporate boardroom office, not kid friendly. So <laughs> we would seek out partners to that Post had like kids. fun, funky mm -hmm. spaces that we can move around, feel lively and the energy. So we started off with Coffee Matter. They would let us utilize their space, which was great. And um, then the next summer we utilized the Harold Washington uh, library where we would have our workshops called Emerge a Leader. And Emerge a Leader, we would meet twice a week for eight weeks. And on Thursday, we would have a guest speaker that would come and talk to the youth about what they're doing professionally or obstacles that they had to overcome personally and kind of like just lay out the blueprint for our kids to begin to mimic mm -hmm. as a starting place and make it their own oh. and become even greater. Nice. Because, you know, a lot of these kids have a very narrow amount of, or limited amount of exposure to the world right around them. Um, with my partnership in a school, our first school partnership was with XL Academy of Inglewood. And we would be talking to some of the young folks and the question came up, how many of you guys have been downtown? And I was like, what? What kind of question is that? And only a handful of the students in the room raised their hands like, yeah, I used to work down there. Oh, I've been there before. And I was like, whoa another like oh yeah it's time to get busy type of moment um anytime you haven't taken a 15 minute train ride to downtown chicago you know so now how do you expect that individual to enter into the adulthood world. as a well-rounded adult and they have not been outside of the their block yeah so um, we began to take them to the operas, you know, camping in the middle of nowhere in Michigan. <laughs> we did yoga. We climbed to the top of the lighthouses, the tallest lighthouse in Michigan. Um, rock climbing, zip lining, all kinds of stuff to just really take them out of their comfort zone. And every new adventure that we would do, I would hear all the time, I'm scared, I'm scared, I'm not doing it, I'm not doing it, I'm not doing it. And as soon as I would like insist on them trying, it wasn't so bad. Or I, I did 
enjoyed it after. I thought it was going to be boring or that was fun. It was nice. And so um, we just began to continuously grow and um, our names were getting in the right rooms. We were becoming a part of the, the necessary conversations. And I just was learning and growing more. Um, and just pouring everything back into the organization. Well, I don't even have to ask any questions because <laughs> you are really going into this and in, in very in-depth and just providing kids without exposure or anything. Like, what was your childhood? Like, was it, was it, were you exposed to all these different things? Like, when you got these ideas to take these kids to, you know, go camping? Like, I didn't, I don't think, I'm from the hood, but I didn't go camping until <laughs> I was about 12 or 13 years old, so... Yes. Fortunately, I did get exposed to a lot growing up. Even when I still lived in Chicago, we lived in the hood. We was on 41st and Langley. But my mother had us in private school. We attended Holy Angels. And we were members of a um, nonprofit organization called Off the Street Club. And they would take kids camping in Whedon. And we thought we were going so far away. We went to Camp Matthews every summer. And they would give you scholarships based on income so you know my mother would get scholarships and uh, me and my three siblings we went camping every summer and it was mind-blowing coming from 41st and Langley in the 80s at the height of the crack epidemic and housing projects I mean the Ida B. Webbs the Ickies all that was right around us so coming from the south side in the 80s going to Whedon and the country to go to camp I mean and we would be like on just land uh, lots of land and they had horses bikes swimming pools lakes with the rope that you could swing from the tree into <laughs> the, the water all commercials. the stuff you see in the movies <laughs> became real life I think that really gave you hope to understand that it is obtainable and so then when we moved to the suburbs, because again, my mother wanted to make sure that we were exposed to things and had opportunities. She just was always about sacrificing and making magic happen. So we moved to the suburb of LaGrange and that began to change my world even more. And once we got to LaGrange, um, my mom started linking us up with different organizations out there, the park districts. We were doing gymnastics, track, all kinds of stuff. And again, she would find if it was some kind of way to get a discount or a scholarship, my mom would find it. And all four of us would be in because she had four kids to move around. We're all like a year apart. So we always are like kind of in the same stage of life at the same time, which could be pretty expensive. So, um, you know, she just always would figure out something, find some kind of deal. Um, even if they didn't have a scholarship, she would go and ask and they'll be so perplexed. Like, you know, I mean, we don't, but we can figure something out. <laughs> I was like, okay, yeah, cause my kid's coming. So, um, we attended a really well-recognized public school system mm-hmm. in LaGrange. LaGrange have excellent school system. Um, so we went to really good schools and got exposed to just all kinds of stuff. My brother, by the time 
he was 15, he was flying airplanes, which wow. gives you an example of the kind of high school we went to. They have an aviation program that allows the students to, to go over to Romeoville and you actually start flying even before you get a driver's license. So, um, and then. So, time out, time out, time So, you said earlier, you never thought you would be doing something like a nonprofit, like state mm-hmm. emergency. It seems like some of this stuff was instilled in you as a child. And right. You're but it's, it it's, it's planting those seeds. Right. And you so are oblivious. <laughs> You're oblivious to it. You're not paying attention. You're trying to direct your own life. Like, this is what I'm going to do. And the whole time, from birth, God is laying the foundation as to what your purpose is, why you were created, all these things you've been exposed to, and then you bring it back to the communities who aren't getting it. I actually work with another nonprofit, Beyond Sports, and I was actually one one of the first students to be a part of it. And now it's like, I'm seeing a lot of myself at that age from mm-hmm. the kids that was like okay well one of the kids is going through freshman year a bunch of them actually going freshman year they're not playing on their respective teams or whatever so it's like you gotta kind of figure out what's going on hey how's everything going and stuff like that and even like being able to expose them to meeting other ball players or professional ball players who work with the Hall of Fame the NFL Hall of Fame for the football players and things like that and exposing them to going out I want to actually do some like stand up comedy workshop or mm-hmm. something like that. Like, like you said, it seems like all this stuff was instilled in you early on and then it just somehow found its way out. <laughs> I know. So now I'm able to really tap into all my gifts, talents, interests, the things experiences, that you learned. everything. And I just put it into this one pot. State of emergency. City. So um, I told you I was an event planner. I coordinate fashion shows in particular. So like now the annual gala would be a dinner slash fashion show where we raise our money. Um, and then that experience has been beneficial with keeping me organized and planning the events that I'm going to do with the kids. Mm-hmm. You know, I put everything together. And because I'm accustomed to the details of event planning, you know, I don't skip a beat, you know, it's not like dropping the ball, like, oh my gosh, I forgot to confirm this reservation. It's just kind of like second nature now. So it's really cool how all of my different life experiences, all the different lives that I've lived are now, you know, coming, coming together. All, Everything's yeah, coming all a part of this. Exactly. So one question I do have though is we see how great the foundation is now. We see the work that you're doing in all the neighborhoods across the city. What was it like putting everything together in the beginning? Was it the hard nights, the hard days? You know, I like to kind of tap into that because I think it's really important for people mm-hmm. to hear that aspect of each story. Mm-hmm. It was very intimidating. It was very intimidating because I had no experience in the nonprofit sector. Mm-hmm. And so when you're trying to get articles of incorporation, bylaws, uh, you the conflict laws and then file for your 501c3 it's just a lot um and it was constant long hours but who that's why i'm always telling my kids like who you surround yourself with really reflects your projection how far you can take things because of my community and those who i was surrounding myself with 
in the beginning stages of this when I was just talking like this is the goal I don't know how it's going to manifest what it's really going to look like but this is what I'm trying to do and people sold into my vision Mm -hmm. and took time out and donated their time to assist me that is the sole reason why um, state of emergency didn't fall by the wayside because every time I got discouraged like why did I start this? Like, I don't want to do this no more. <laughs> I, I had too many people invested in my Very vision. Cool. You know, I had people who had already joined the board of directors. I had, you know, people who had just given me hours, hours. Um, shout out to Sharice Raglan at the um, time. She had a nonprofit. She's a friend of my father. And I was telling her how I want to start this nonprofit organization. She previously had her own nonprofit organization, so she was familiar with the, the startup process. process. Yeah. And she, we would meet every Thursday morning for like three hours, and she would um, type up goals of what I need to accomplish this week, three months, six months, and we will review it. And she did not play. If I came the next week (laughs) and did not get done what we talked about last week, and I'm talking about, oh, well, let me tell you, this happened. It was like, no, I'm too busy. I'm I'm giving my time. I normally charge for consultations. Mm -hmm. So if I ask you and expect you to accomplish something, that's what you're going to do. And that's the reason why she even um, invested in me because she was kind of like filling me out to see how what my work ethic was. You to get and she done. told me, she's like, oh yeah, I can work with you. <laughs> you, you, you get stuff done. Because I was like, I was on it. Like I literally would not sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, I would stay up all night and then we would have to meet for breakfast at like 8 in the morning or something and I'd be like, well, I haven't been asleep yet. You know, I would just be up all night because I just got all my creative energy at night or starting at like 10 o'clock at night for whatever reason. (laughs) Right, so then I'll I'll stay up to like 3 in the morning or something, then finally take a little nap, be back up. Um, So I just... You know, like that, her um, investment was priceless, and that kept me on task. So if she was holding me accountable, so I have so many accountability partners that if I wanted to slack, I wouldn't because I didn't want to let them down Mm. because they did not have to invest their time in me. And so then once I developed the board of directors from just different acquaintances, friends, and things like that who I knew could benefit the organization, I, you know, was very strategic in who I selected for my board. Um, whether they were in education, had the nonprofit experience, had the social work experience, accounting experience, whatever, they were brought in, you know, because of their strengths. And so then when they joined and we were having these quarterly meetings and I would say what I'm going to get done by next time we meet for the quarter, I would definitely, and especially now as the founder, you can't be slacking. You set the tone. Whatever you work at is, you know, people are going to like work. They will follow soon. Exactly. I just wanted to make sure that I was displaying good leadership qualities and that just really kept me going. So at times when I wanted to stop and felt discouraged, I felt locked in. And sometimes you have to have those accountability partners who kind of make you feel like stuck to your commitment so you don't prematurely abort it, you know, because of all the different fears that your brain can um, 
you know, scare you with. And that's something that I talk to the kids too about a lot of mental roadblocks that prevent you from accomplishing your greatness before you even start because you have these fears and mental roadblocks telling you why you can't, why you shouldn't, and why you won't accomplish your goal. Now, I usually do this later in each episode, but since we're on this like subject, three things you would tell someone starting something creative, you know, entrepreneurial type of deal, you know, what are three things you would tell someone? Um, get you a solid network. No one has ever achieved a level of success by themselves. And I used to really like just working by myself because then you move at your own pace and stuff like that. Um, so I had to really learn how to work with a team. And you get so much more accomplished with a team, especially if you are surrounding yourself with people who have networks and connections and they're doing things with their lives. Um, so you may not know someone in this particular industry, but your friend or a member of your community do. So utilize it. So um, I would definitely say to pick the people you allow in your space and to have access to your time, pick them wisely. Um, have an accountability partner, someone who you're checking in with on a regular basis who will hold you accountable for accomplishing what your goal was. And um, getting mentors. So at whatever level or stage of life that you're in, if you're 40 years old, if you're 18 years old, college student, a CEO, you always can use a mentor. So you will want to connect with someone who has accomplished something that you would like to eventually accomplish, or either they are very strong in an area that you're kind of weak, and you get underneath them and get some mentorship to like kind of wrap everything up i have this like uh, theme for majority of each episode is we talk about like culture and how it affects us on our day-to-day -day being like i really wanted to get your take on like how everything is here we're talking about just everything that's going on from social media to social climate and political climate you know how how is how does the emerging city work into our culture that we're working in right now. I'm pretty sure I know the answer already, but... Man, um, I'll start with a local and a national level. Well, actually, worldwide, because state of emergency city is catered towards minorities, um, black young folks and black communities in particular. And in America, mm -hmm. your blackness can be a weapon. It could be a reason to... Uh, demonize you, criminalize you. So that in itself is a, a big part of the culture of America that we live in. And then coming down to a local level, we're in Chicago, one of the most corrupt politically corrupt cities in the United States. A lot of our politicians in their terms in jail. <laughs> so, um, we are notoriously known for corrupt politicians. We are notoriously known for gang activity. We are also well known for, um, you know, segregated communities. So the culture of Chicago and combating that is also something that we have to deal with on a regular basis. And just the fact that 
black folks in America as a whole don't get as much compassion as our counterparts. Um, I am now pushing a new agenda to get the gun violence in America, um, as well as the gun violence in Chicago, to be seen as a public health crisis. Um, just like how the opioid epidemic, which is plaguing predominantly white communities, is now the you know one of the forefront health crisis. Um, Illinois just received about thirty-eight million dollars of federal funds to combat opioid addiction, you know, um, it's really easy to criminalize black people because those are the repetitive images that we see of black folks. We see gangsters, they're gang affiliated, they have a, a known criminal record and so forth. So then as a society as a whole, when you're watching the news, it's just like a bad guy shot another bad guy. Um, and then I was a case manager at John Schroeder Cook County Hospital. And that's where majority of our gunshot victims come. So then when you are really seeing the names, the faces the day -day of that number that was displayed on the news, and then um, sometimes the desensitizing of, oh, he was injured but expected to survive. And then, but what that consists of is him now being an amputee or paralyzed from the waist down, paralyzed from the neck down, or 19 years old, now walking on a cane, um, loss of vision, traumatic brain injury. So when you see that, you understand um, just, just how much you are working against. Mm -hmm. So just addressing the culture of how the lack of compassion for um, PTSD, mental issues, um, Poverty when it comes to um, black individuals in Chicago, black individuals in America, and um, just even on a world scale, when you look at different countries, you know, mm -hmm. um, black people are, you know, statistically always kind of at the lower scope of things. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think um, I appreciate what you're doing, and I think a lot of people do. I, I, I found it reassuring that it's people are actually out there that care. Um, not only because I'm out here trying to do my thing with podcasting and do stuff like that, but because I was one of those kids, you know. Mm -hmm. Whether you come from a good family or whatever, uh, to me, you can get caught in a bad situation as a youngster, yeah. you know. And I even talk about some of that stuff on stage and, you know, try to poke light at it. But at the same time, I think, like you said, uh, sometimes we can be desensitized to these things. But if you can talk to someone who's lived through some shit like that, then it makes it a little bit easier to kind of say, okay, well, this is what we need to do about those things. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate you coming on to the podcast. Well, I appreciate you having me. Um, one last question I ask each guest is, where are they on the Kanye West confidence level? So that goes from college dropout all the way to now, yay. So, oh, no, I'm definitely the college dropout Kanye. <laughs> now, that's what people say he was his most confident, too. Yeah, so. absolutely. That's absolutely. what I like to hear. So, that's what I like to you hear. Know, it's like that. I definitely got that Chicago swag down pat. You know, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. Right. Um, so, yeah, old school Kanye. <laughs>
Again, I appreciate it. If you want to put the, if you guys have social media or anything out there, you got any events coming up or anything like that? Yes. Um, so our social media on Facebook is just State of Emerge City, all one word, no spaces. On Instagram, we're at SOE.city. Um, so you can definitely keep up with us through the social media. Also, our website is www.soecity.org. You can subscribe to our newsletters and stay up to date with what we have going on and upcoming events, as well as our calendar is posted on the website. Um, the next thing that we are getting together is a dinner for our supporters. So those who have consistently supported the efforts and initiatives of State of Emergency City, we um, like to just give them an annual thank you dinner um, for believing in us because we are um, supported by private investors and the community and people who just donate into us. We do not seek federal funds. Um, maybe later down the line that it'll be something to explore, but sometimes that come with handcuffs. Yeah. So, you know, you have to begin to revise your program to fit the criterias, and then you have to release a lot of demographic information about those you're serving and what they do with that information is a little suspect. And I, I've worked in government and state sectors and kind of like seen kind of the other side of things, mm -hmm. and it wasn't too appealing. So, you know, I just want to make sure I protect the integrity and the vision of State of Emergency and make sure that it's not altering based on funding. Mm -hmm. So we just try to make sure we keep our community involved. So for all of those who um, are listening and now becoming aware of State of, the, State of Emergency City, I encourage you to research us, follow us, and support us. And you can support with your time um, by letting us come tour a facility you have or coming to speak to our youth. And definitely financial contributions keep the heartbeat of SOE going. Right. Thank you, Miss Macassa. Johnson. I didn't say it right because I, yes. I know I actually yes, you did it well. <laughs> and I also have a name that can be mispronounced as well too. So, but thank you again, and uh, maybe uh, down the road we'll have to come get you back on the show and have you, I don't know, talk about where things have grown with the foundation. I look forward to that. Hopefully one day. Yeah, awesome. All right, appreciate it. Sounds you. good. Thank you. Yeah. Well, guys, that was this week's episode of It's Your World with Miss Macassa Johnson. Definitely appreciate um, the support. Thank you for liking uh, the post on Instagram, checking us out on Facebook, listening on Lipson and all that, man. I really appreciate it. And I want you guys to know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick things up, all right? I'm trying to open up the idea of what the podcast can become and... Um, I wanted to first start with this episode because this one is something that I think is pretty dope and you really appreciate someone giving back to um, where you grew up, you know, uh, providing a, a service or an organization that, you know, you definitely could have used as a kid too. And um, I really appreciate McCaster for what she's doing for the city of Chicago and all the kids around the city as well. Um, if you guys want to find them on Facebook or get in contact with them, you can reach them at, uh, at State of Emergency City on uh, Facebook. 
as well as www.soecity.org. Again, it's www.soecity.org. All right, guys. Appreciate you checking out the podcast. Make sure you subscribe and review. If you like it, let somebody know. If you don't like it, let somebody know. Either way, it's going to get the people talking. Appreciate it, guys. Have a good one.